Well, good morning, church. How's everybody today? Doing well? Cold out there today, right? Man, you know what? On my drive in here this morning, it's so cold, I saw a lawyer with his hands in his own pockets. You guys like that one better than first service. They didn't know whether to laugh or not, but you got to laugh, right? Life's too short not to laugh. <laughs> so this morning, we're going to continue with our sermon series uh, on, on the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to tell you a story about a small town preacher who really raised a lot of eyebrows in his community. You know, if you live in a small community, everybody knows you. They know what you're going to do. They know kind of what your routine is a lot of the time. And that was true with this preacher. Everybody always knew where he would be, except for a small window of time during the week. And during that small window of time, he escaped everyone's notice, except for one curious church member who noticed he was missing. You see, the preacher worked every day until 4 o'clock. And when uh, someone would call and ask the secretary where he was, she would always tell him. She would say, you know, he's in his office studying. He is out running errands. He is having lunch with someone or he's at the hospital visiting someone. But on Thursday afternoons when somebody would ask where he was, she would simply say, he's not here right now. So this church member got suspicious. Where was his preacher on Thursday afternoons? Was he involved in another job he'd taken that he didn't tell anybody about? Was he involved in some sort of club or organization that met then that he was ashamed to admit? Was he having an affair or doing something like that? Maybe the, the health of the church was in question. He had to know where his preacher was during this time when no one knew. Should he go to the elders? Should he go to his small group? So one day after worrying about this for several weeks and talking to a few select people, this concerned church member decided he's going to get to the bottom of this and figure out where this preacher is on Thursday afternoons. So on this particular Thursday, he parked down the street from the church building and he watched as the preacher got in his car and he followed him at a distance. And they went through town and they went across the bridge and they went over the railroad tracks and they went out in the country and the preacher turned down a dirt road that led to a small trailer park. And the church member watched from a distance as the preacher stopped in front of a trailer and parked his car there. And we're going to come back to that story at the end of the sermon, so just think on that for a minute. We're going to turn the page from Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. And I hope that you've been enjoying this sermon series. We are now in week 5 of a 10-week study on the Sermon on the Mount. And I hope that you've been able to get into the Word a little deeper than we've been able to do on Sunday mornings. Because remember, as we said at the beginning, we're, we're hoping to hit the main ideas of what Jesus is wanting to tell us here. But it's when we grasp those main ideas then we can truly put the details to work in our lives. So we want to internalize the words of Jesus and see what he's teaching us where we are right now in our faith journey. And hopefully you're studying this Sermon on the Mount on your own, and hopefully you're involved with a small group that's talking a little bit more about it in a deeper way during your small group time. Because it's a challenging section of Scripture, but it teaches us so much. And last week, you might remember, we talked about the importance of a faith built on a relationship with Jesus. Christianity is a religion of the heart. It's not just about obedience toward outward rituals. So if we're just going through the motions in our faith, 
then we're really not having a biblical faith. And that is why Jesus was so hard on the Pharisees. You remember that? He was hard on the Pharisees because on the outside, everything looked great, like they had it all together and they were doing all the righteous things. But on the inside, they were spiritually dead. We said last week that merely knowing the commands of God is not enough to please God to get us to heaven, but it's one thing to know God's word, but it's an entire thing altogether different to know the God who gave us the word. So we said that we're saved not by our good works, but we're saved by grace through faith for good works. And our obedience to God's word comes out of our relationship with him. You know, our natural inclination as human beings is to do things our way, right? Or the way that we see our culture doing things. That's the easy way. That's our natural inclination. But because we have a relationship with Jesus, because we have the spirit dwelling in us, our lives will look different than the lives of people in the world. And we're able to do not just the natural things, but the almost supernatural things because of this spirit that dwells in us. Because we have to remember, church, we're never living life alone as Christians. Amen? It's a terrible, desperate thing to feel lonely. But we're never alone when we belong to Jesus. Last week's sermon topic to the first century Christians was revolutionary. Because they'd heard about the laws growing up and had been part of their education, what they lived and it's what they knew. And Jesus came and he told them that the ceremonial and dietary laws were fulfilled in him. Remember that? Now we can have bacon and crab legs. Amen? But the moral laws of the Old Testament are still in effect. And we talked about that. That hasn't changed. The world has always tried to change God's moral laws. But we can't change those. And we shouldn't want to change those. But what should change is our reason for obeying them. We don't obey God's laws so that God will love us. But we obey God's laws because He loves us. And we, we obey those laws and we put our faith in His Son who saved us. And we obey out of our relationship with God through Christ and we don't just obey through heartless actions, right? We surrender to God's word. We surrender to God's will in our lives. We still wrestle with our flesh, don't we? We still wrestle with sin. And we have to put our hearts under the control of God's Holy Spirit. You see, we can't listen to our hearts. We can't let our human hearts tell us what we should do. We have to be the ones telling our hearts what we should do. If we listen to our hearts, if we do what feels right, if we do what seems right in the moment, a lot of times that can lead to a lot of sin. And in fact, Jeremiah tells us in, in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. So we can't listen to this deceitful master in our lives and just follow our hearts. That's what the world tells us to do. But God says, I want you to follow my heart. Amen? Jesus says, Follow the heart of God. And we follow God's moral laws. And if you remember last week, we talked about the moral law of murder. We don't kill, but we respect all life from the youngest to the oldest, from the healthy to the sick, because we know God has a heart for what? A heart for life, both life here and life for eternity. That's why we care about the lost. 
and helping them find Jesus. We talked about how we don't follow the lustful pool of our flesh and commit adultery because we know God has a heart for faithfulness. So if you're married, you stay faithful to your spouse. If you're not married, you stay faithful to a future spouse. And you stay faithful to God. We work at our marriage and keep divorce at bay because we know God has what? A heart for commitment. We keep our promises and refrain from lying even when it's difficult because we know God has a heart for integrity. We restrain ourselves from getting even with someone who's hurt us because God doesn't have a heart of revenge, but God has a heart for forgiveness. And last week we said, we choose not to do the easy thing, which is hate our enemies. But God wants us to do something much harder. That is to love our enemies. But here's the point we got to remember through all these things that we're to do. We're not alone. We have the help of God's Spirit dwelling in us. None of these things can we do on our own, nor have we been called to do them on our own. But it's only with Christ dwelling in us and us following His lead and letting Him direct. That's how we're able to do these things. So the main theme of Jesus' sermon, this Sermon on the Mount, is living by the heart of God. And this carries from chapter 5, which we've already discussed, right into chapter 6, which we're going to talk about today. And I want us to see what Jesus does in this next section. You see, he goes from focusing on what they're not supposed to do to what they're already doing or supposed to be doing, right? And he chooses three activities that you and I should still be doing today. And we want to do these activities with the right attitude, with the right motivation. Have you ever done the right thing for the wrong reasons? That's not any fun, is it, right? That, that doesn't even feel right. You know, it just seems wrong, even though it's right. Jesus is telling us here in chapter 6, I want you to do these right things with the right attitude. And here's the three topics, and we call this the basics of our faith. The three topics are giving, prayer, and fasting. Giving, prayer, and fasting. So you ready to get in the scripture? Let's do it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So here's an initial warning from Jesus. He's saying, As you live out your faith, as you practice your righteousness, don't do these things just so other people see you and think, man, he's a great guy, or man, that woman has it all together. Those are not the reasons we do these things. Don't do these things just for a pat on the back. Now, everybody loves a pat on the back, right? It feels good. But that's not our motivation. Check your motivation, Jesus is saying. Not every good deed is going to end up on WSAZ, right? Not every good thing we do needs to be part of a Facebook post, right? Right? We need to check our motivations. The first audience knew, just like we know, Jesus is exposing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. So here's the first thing we should do, but not for a pat on the back. And the first thing is we should give. We should give money to help the needy. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. 
Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. What's the first thing he says here? When you give. He doesn't say if you give or if you feel like giving. He says when you give. If we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, then we should be willing to give to help those in need. Amen? Can I get a better amen? Amen. amen. All right. Good deal. When you give, he says, everything God designed was made to give. Think about that for a second, right? The sun gives us warmth and light, right? The ground gives us crops that we can grow and eat. Uh, tree vegetation give us oxygen to breathe. The ocean, since those dietary laws aren't in effect, give us crab legs and shrimp, right? <laughs> right? Snakes, they give us fear. They do me at least. Yes. Flies, mosquitoes, they give us aggravation. Everything God made was designed to give. And we are the same, church. He designed us, he made us, and we're designed to give. So we should be willing to take some of what God has blessed us with to help those in need. And we're commanded to give in so many ways. We're commanded to give of our time and of our talent. But in this context, Jesus is talking about giving money. The old King James and some other translations Translate this Greek word as alm, A-L-M. And you know what an alm is? It's money that was given to help somebody else. In fact, some translations actually call it an act of charity. So that's what this is talking about. And then Jesus talks about trumpets. He says, when you give, do not announce it with trumpets. You see, in the synagogues where people gave their offering, even the religious leaders... They would all come to the synagogue and they would put their offering in this basket that was shaped like a trumpet. It was, it was wide at the opening and small at the bottom. And so Jesus is using this image as a play on words to point out how hypocritical the religious leaders were because they would come into this trumpet-like basket and make a big show of how generous they were with all the money they were giving. And he says... It's like they're blowing their trumpets. So everyone will notice they're putting their money in this trumpet. So people will see them and be impressed by what they're doing. And Jesus says that is their reward. Luke chapter 11, 40 through 42, and Matthew 23, 23. Jesus is rebuking these religious leaders for the big show they're making as they give. He says, although they're doing the right thing on the outside, inside... Their hearts aren't right. They had the wrong motivation, the wrong attitude. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. They were giving, but doing it with the wrong motivation. Jesus says, don't do that. Do your giving in secret, and your heavenly Father will reward you in secret. In other words, watch your motivations. In Luke 18, Jesus tells about two men who went up to the temple to pray. There was a Pharisee, and you remember who the other guy was? He's a tax collector, right? So you had the best of people and the worst of people. 
But who was the best and worst in God's eyes? Here's what the Pharisee said when he prayed in Luke 18, 11 through 12. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Again, he was doing all the right things, but he had the wrong attitude. He was bragging about it so other people would see how good he was. And today, we have the opportunity to give to the needy in so many secret ways, right? And we want to, we want to give with the right motivation. And we make it easy today. You know, you can give the old-fashioned way by putting your money in the collection plate. You can take your phone and text your offering or go to the church center app or go to the website. You can even drop a check in the mail. Does anybody still write checks? I do too. Drives my wife crazy, but I do. You can do that. You can set up a recurring gift so that money goes out you know, routinely. You can give cash, checks, stocks, all other kinds of assets. Listen, the point is, if you love your church and you love what your church is doing for your family and for your community, then your heart should be one that wants to give, not just out of obedience, but out of gratitude and out of love. And we also want to be encouraged to give to other organizations that are doing good things. We should want to support them. But we want to give to our church so that the body of Christ doesn't just stay in here, but so that it has the resources to go out there where we can reach a lost and dying world. Amen? Amen. Paul tells us that Jesus said in Acts 20 verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So it's about having the right motivation to help those in need with what you have. Because we're all blessed by God with the things we have, right? It's all His anyway. We don't act like that sometimes. We talk about my money, my house, my retirement. But guess what? God has given us the blessings of those things. And we need to be willing to use them for Him. And when we invest what God has given us to impact other people's lives, the return on that investment has the ability to last for eternity. Think about that. It's not temporary. If what we give helps reach someone and they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that has eternal consequences for that life and all the other people they may be around and minister to. That's powerful, church. That's powerful. And that's what we're to be doing with our resources. So we should give, Jesus says, and give with the right attitude. The second thing he says we should do, but not for a pat on the back is we should pray. We should pray. A woman invited some people over for dinner. And when they were all sitting around the table, she turned to her six-year-old daughter and she said, Honey, would you like to say the blessing? The little girl said, Oh, Mommy, I really wouldn't know what to say. Oh, it's okay, honey. Just say what you heard Mommy say. So the little girl bows her head and she says, Lord, why on earth did I invite all these people over here for dinner? all kinds of different prayers. What does Jesus say about prayer? Matthew 6, beginning at verse 5, he says this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room. 
close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling on like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Don't lose sight of that last phrase we just read. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Does that give you comfort as a Christian? You know, that's the kind of verse you read and you should take a deep breath and say, okay, God knows. And I know that God knows. But we need reminded of that sometimes. God knows what we need even before we ask Him. So again, Jesus is using the Pharisees as an example of how not to live your life. And in this instance, he's showing us how not to pray. They would stop whatever they're doing and they would <clears throat> clear their throats and make sure everybody was noticing them and swing their arms and babble on with big flowery language so people would see that they were praying. But here's the problem. They weren't praying to God. They were just going through a ritual so other people could see them. And if people were impressed, then remember, they were the religious leaders of their time. The people living in that time didn't have the ability to read Jesus' words like we do today. So many people were impressed by what they saw. And Jesus says, that is their reward for doing what they're doing. We need to pray, church. Amen? Would you consider yourself a praying person? Is that something you do all day, every day? You know, we literally should pray about everything. Scripture tells us that, right? I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I have the tendency to let things get a little bit out of hand before I go to prayer. It's not always my first go-to in everything. I want to be better at that. Am I the only one, or is that something we all struggle with? We should want to go to God right away with everything. It's a tremendous blessing we have and probably a very underutilized tool in my life at least. But we, I couldn't even get the governor on the phone if I needed something. But I have direct access to God, the creator of all things, all day, every day, for any reason. If you're thankful for that, say amen. 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 That's a big deal. So, praying's important. And here's one thing about prayer. It's something every single person can do. You know, maybe you can't teach a, kid, a classroom full of kids. Maybe you can't preach from a stage. Maybe you're like me and you can't sing at all. Amen over here, right? But every single person can pray and should pray because of the tremendous benefit we have. You know, sometimes though, prayer doesn't require any words. You ever think about that? Sometimes spending quiet time with God, silent time with God, is the prayer that we need. Romans 8.26, Paul writes that sometimes we do not know what we should ask for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless dreams. Maybe you've experienced this in some struggle you've gone through. Maybe your situation is so confusing you don't know what to ask for. Maybe your pain or your loss is so great and so overwhelming you don't even have the words to vocalize it. But God says, that's okay. My spirit will intercede. I got your back, even in prayer to me. So many times, maybe we just need to spend prayerful silence before God. 
And in those moments, we can come away with a better understanding of our situation. So in the next few verses of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is giving us an example of how to pray. And we sang this song, which was awesome, just a little bit ago, the Lord's Prayer. And it goes like this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Many of us have prayed that prayer. Many of us have memorized that prayer, right? And it is an example, a blueprint of how we should pray. It's something to remind us of the things we need to pray for. So we're going to go through this line by line here this morning. Jesus starts off by saying, our Father in heaven. So he's teaching us to address our prayers to the Father. Now, it's not wrong to pray to Jesus or to the Spirit, but Jesus is saying here, address your prayer to the Father. Secondly, he's saying, hallowed be your name. And this is telling us to worship God. The name of God is powerful, right? And it's a name that we're not to take in vain, but it's a name we're to respect, a name we're to revere, a name that means something. So he says, hallowed be your name. That reminds us of the God we're praying to. Then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is a reminder that in our prayer lives, we need to be praying for God's will, not our will. Amen? You know, maybe you're dealing with a a big decision right now. Maybe it's a decision about a relationship. Maybe it's a decision about a health situation. Maybe it's a financial problem. Maybe it's a job opportunity. Maybe you have a big decision right now in front of you. Jesus is reminding us in our prayers about those things, we need to be asking for God's will, not our will. Because guess what, church? God knows 5, 10, 50 years from now what's going to be happening. We only know about right now. So Jesus is reminding us, pray for God's will, not our own will. Next, he says, give us today our daily bread. And this is a reminder that we need to pray to God every day for the things we need in that day. And maybe it's bread. I like bread, right? It's food. We need food every day. But there's a lot of other things we need every day. We need godly wisdom every day. We need understanding every day. We need patience, especially if we're driving on I-64 every day, right? There's all kinds of things we need every day, and Jesus is reminding us, in your prayer, ask for the things you need for that day. Then he says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And this reminds us, We should be confessing our sins to God and resolving to turn away from those sins. And then we need to forgive other people just like God has forgiven us. And why do we need to pray about these things? Because they're hard, church. We can listen to a sermon every week about how we're supposed to forgive. But in our lives, when we've been hurt or somebody we love has been hurt, you don't just snap your fingers and get there. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes God's spirit many times. So part of our prayer lives needs to be that we're able to forgive those who've caused us harm. And that concludes here with this part. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We all have sins that we deal with, right? The, the sin that, that I have the hardest time with may not be a sin that you have the hardest time with, but the sin you struggle the most with may not be something that I struggle with. But as Kenny Chesney says, it's always your favorite sins that do you in, right? It's true. And that is what Jesus is saying here. The sin that you struggle with the most, Satan is going to try to exploit that sin in your life to get you to fall because that's what he wants you to do. And this is a reminder, God... Lead us not into temptation. Help us achieve victory over these sins we're struggling with. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a mistake you keep making over and over again. Whatever it is, God, help us achieve victory over that. And protect us, deliver us from the evil one, which is Satan. That's a reminder that that needs to be part of our prayer lives. And then Jesus adds a powerful statement to the end of, of this section of Scripture. He says in Matthew 6, 14, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Church, we need to be a forgiving people, right? And why are we forgiving? Because we've been forgiven of so much. Amen? Amen. Amen. Who are we? To not be willing to extend that same forgiveness to other people. So the third thing we should do, but not for a pat on the back, is we should fast. We don't talk about fasting a lot today, but this really should be part of our normal lifestyle. And you know, fasting can mean giving up food or anything we rely upon for a period of time so that we can focus on praying with greater intensity and the sufficiency of Christ. In the first century, it primarily meant food. And the Pharisees loved to make a big deal out of the fact that they were fasting. Look at me, I'm fasting. They wanted to draw attention to themselves instead of attention to God. And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who's unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. You see, in all these topics we've discussed today, Jesus is exposing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And these folks, although they knew the law inside and out, missed the entire point of the Old Testament. You see, their faith had become all these mindless rituals that they performed in vanity so other people could see them and glorify them for it. They were interested in self-glorification. And they lost their motivation and love for God. They forgot what God told Samuel when it was time to choose a king. You see, Samuel thought David's oldest son, uh, brother, his good-looking, strong brother, Eliab, should become king. But God said this, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. When you looked at these two brothers... One brother looked like a king, but God saw the other brother 
had the heart of a king. You know why? Because God looks at hearts. And he's still looking at hearts today. He's looking at your heart, and he's looking at my heart. And he sees not just the things we do. He doesn't just hear the things we say. But he sees the thoughts and the motivations behind those things. You guys remember our small town preacher and his Thursday afternoon calendar and that curious, nosy church member? So, here's the rest of the story. The church member watches as the preacher gets out of his car and walks up the steps to the door of the trailer and he knocks on the door. And a woman comes to the door and then she turns around and goes back inside. And then a few moments later, two young children appear with a beach ball. And the church member could tell right away that these two children were special needs children. And for the next hour, he watched his preacher in this yard playing with these children and this beach ball. And he had a lot of questions. Why is he here? Who are these kids? Who are these kids to him? So the next Sunday, he confronted his preacher about what he'd observed. And the preacher was surprised that he'd been followed, obviously. But then the preacher was a, a bit confused and embarrassed, but he went ahead and told the man what he was doing. You see, for the last year, he'd been secretly volunteering with Big Brothers Big Sisters. And his job was to spend a few hours a week with some kids with special needs who only had one parent in the home. So he would go over to their house and sit with them or talk to them or play some ball with them. And he did this every Thursday afternoon. Something he did in secret to help someone else. Here's our challenge this morning. What are you doing in secret in your life that nobody knows about to help somebody else? How do you spend your time in secret when you're all alone? Are you struggling with some sin you need to get out of? If so, God will help you with that. Are you spending your secret time doing things so other people will give you a pat on the back for the good works you've done? Or are you spending your secret time selflessly serving someone who could never pay you back, someone where you could never expect anything in return? Are you spending that time in secret, in service, to hear the following words from Matthew 25? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful. Come and share your master's happiness. Church, we have all kinds of opportunities every day to serve. And some of the service we do, people are going to see. But what about those times when no one else knows? Are we still doing God's word to help this, help this world come to know Jesus as their Savior? It's a question we need to ask ourselves and think about. Maybe we change the way we spend those secret moments. But today, if you're here this morning and your heart's not right with God, if you're not a Christian, if you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus, it starts there. If you've never been baptized into him to have your sins washed away and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit we've talked about so much today, we would love to talk with you about that, help you with that, answer any questions you have, and help you take those steps. If you're here today and you are a baptized believer and you're looking for a church to get involved with, a church that loves its community and wants to spread out there, then you found the right place, we pray. We'd love to talk with you about how to get plugged into a group or how to serve here with us and partner with us to help save souls. And if you're here this morning and there's something you need, 
Maybe you have a physical need. Maybe you have a spiritual need. Maybe you need prayers. We stand ready to help you with that as well. And of course, as I say every week, if you have some good news you want to share, we could all use good news. So here in just a moment, the band is going to lead us in our closing song. And I'll be standing down right over here if you want to come talk to me about anything. We stand ready to help. But for now, if you'll stand, we're going to go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you humbly for this day. Thankful, Lord, for your word that we can learn from. And God, I just pray that you be with every heart here. And Father, every heart will be taught in the way that you want it to be taught. That your word will be received in every life in the way you intend it to. God, I pray that you be with our motivations this week as we go out and about and have all kinds of opportunities to serve you. God, help us have the right motivations to help others, to give where we can, to exercise patience where we need to, to show love and grace and mercy, even in those situations that make us want to fly off the handle. God, help us to have your heart. Help us, Father, to not listen to our human hearts that lead us astray. But help us, Father, to be drawn into you and have your heart. Father, help us listen to your spirit that dwells in us. And God, if there be someone here today who doesn't know you, I pray they will make that decision, change their life forever. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for the work we can do in you and the privilege to serve. Help us, Father, to make a difference out there this week for you. We ask all this in Jesus' holy name we pray.